0: Hey guys, Brad here. Are you a new investor or are you a seasoned investor that enjoys the podcast, but you just can't seem to wrap your head around notes and subject to creating wraps as well as the various other things that I talk about? There's one thing that I see that is really common with most real estate investors, especially wholesalers, and it's this. If you aren't creating notes, then you are leaving more money on the table than you are actually making. If you wanna change this in your business, then reach out to me at brad at bradsmotherman.com. We are opening our apprentice program in just a few weeks, and in this program, we work together on deals, one-on-one, and we profit share in your local market. Are you ready to have a real mentor instead of just buying another course? Reach out to me, brad at bradsmotherman.com. Hey guys, Brad here with Investor Creator, and today we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Mitch Steven. Now, for those of you, the few of you who do not know Mitch already, Mitch is an owner financier, one of the top real estate investors in the country, especially when it comes to owner financing, and we're very blessed to have him with us today. Uh, He's also the author of My Life in a Thousand Houses, and you're going to want to check that out if you haven't already as well. So Mitch, welcome to Investor Creator. Hey Bradley, thanks for having me, man. It's my pleasure. Yeah, very good. So kind of how this came about, I was on Mitch's podcast a few weeks ago and we had such a great time. It was a total blast. And we got into the conversation about, uh, hey, let's continue this. So I wanted to have Mitch on. But for the the few that don't know really who you are and your background, if you could just take a couple of minutes and talk about how you got into this business in the first place.
1: Well, I, I failed at everything else. So it was the last thing left. I have a high school education. I like to tell everyone, I went to college at La Calle U, that's the the street in Spanish. The most expensive college on the planet. That's don't right. Take everything you have and not give you anything. I stumbled into it like I stumbled into everything. You know, my life has just been a mutating from that hurt, how do I stop that from happening? To that felt good, how do I multiply that? And so I just kept morphing between those two situations, pain and pleasure. Yeah. So trying to figure out how to minimize the pain and maximize the pleasure. And, you know, certainly making money was something that I needed to get a handle on and, and get done. So I bought a couple of, I bought a place to live. And when I sold it, I ended up making more money on it than I did at my job for two yep. years, you know, straight.
0: So let me and stop you there, there for just a second, because it's something that always amazes me, because I have a lot of friends that aren't in real estate. But after they sell the first or second house that they ever own, they get the biggest check that they've ever had but somehow a light bulb just still doesn't go off in their head. Does that make any sense to you? I didn't come from money and I didn't
1: know what money was. And when I got a check for $40,000, I mean, it got my attention. I was like, how the hell you do that again? And how do you speed it up? So you don't have to wait two or three years to get that check. Uh, And and, and being the brilliant guy I was, I said, you know, there might be something to this real estate. I better check it out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So you, you bought and sold your first house. You had 40K and you began at that point to, to take it more seriously, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Then I, I went into the buy and hold thing and I got 25 houses and I was supposed to make $300 a month positive cash flow on each house. And I wasn't making jack because it only took one air conditioner, and one move out to wipe out a whole year on each house. And, you know, on most of the time it did. And right, I tried to get out of it and no one in those neighborhoods that I had these houses could qualify for a loan or maybe even my houses couldn't qualify for a loan. And I paid this guy in my town that had 500 free and clear houses. I paid him $10,000 because he said he knew exactly how to fix my problem. And he could fix it in probably 10 days. But it was up to me to follow through with the knowledge and finish. Mm-hmm. And he showed me how to owner finance houses. And I, I didn't even believe in it. I picked up 3000 down on all these houses in about 180 days, 120 days. And so I had 75000 in the bank. And then that 300 a month times twelve, that seventy five hundred dollars a month that was supposed to be mine in in the rental game, which always seemed to evaporate or go to the air conditioner guy or the carpet guy. Oh yeah. It started sticking in my bank account. Seventy five hundred dollars a month. When yeah. even in the rental game, I was thinking I'd keep half of that seventy-five maybe. I needed three thousand out of that seventy five hundred to make my world go round and not have to have a job. And I was only counting on three thousand of that seventy five hundred in the rental game. And when I switched to owner financing, I started banking 7,500 bucks a month, solid every month.
0: Yeah. And when was that? What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, 1996. 1996. Okay. So that was pre-Dodd-Frank and all that. And Yeah, whatever. that was
1: a Wild West. West. It was the Wild West, man. You can do anything you want.
0: Yeah. All right. So you were creating owner finance notes. Were you keeping all your paper? Or were you selling some paper or both?
1: Well, today I keep my paper, but in the beginning, so I did all that. I created... Those 25 notes, and then a note buyer called me, says, This Mr. Stephen. I said, Yes, or he says, Do you have this note on so-and-so street? I said, Yes, I do. He said, We'd like to give you thirty-two thousand dollars for that thirty-five thousand dollar note. And I said, No kidding, because I'm doing the math in my head. I only owe 17 on this house, you know. Yeah. I'm in it. I bought it for 17. So there's sixteen thousand dollars that I can another sixteen thousand I can have. And then I said, Can you do it on twenty-four other ones just like it?
0: And
1: they said, sure. <laughs> And I woke up one day after being crushed and thought I was getting out of the buy and hold real estate business. Six months later, I have a half a million dollars in the bank cash. And yeah. then you learn these three initials. I R S.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. That's right. So at that point, it's like owner finance as much as you can. And and I assume at some point you had to raise a lot of private money, which you've done quite a bit of.
1: Yeah. Right now I have 16 million out in the street and, you know, my my money's not like you know when my money goes out. It's not like flip money. It doesn't come back in two months or three months or six months or eight months. It stays out there for five years. So, so I gotta raise a lot of money all the time. I suppose you call me back three months from now. I'll have twenty million out.
0: Well, I, I hope so. I mean, if if you're running a million and a half a month, I I, I think that's fantastic. With your career in the, the owner finance market, have you seen? I know Dodd Frank probably created an impact, but you're kind of one of the the leaders in the knowledge uh, of what Dodd-Frank really is and compliance with that. Is that correct?
1: I'm not a leader in what it really is. I'm just the guy who said, what do I got to do? They said, you got to have an RMLO. I said, okay. I found an RMLO. I sent him to my office. I told everyone in my office, do what the hell he says, because we have to by law and I'm going to go out and buy houses. I didn't read one word of it and still don't know and still don't care. As long as my RMLO and my RMLO has been audited, they get audited every two years. Mm-hmm. and he's been audited twice. And I'm sure I'm a huge part of that audit. File. Oh, you have to be. And he has gone through uh, those audits with no demerits and no fines both times. So he's doing it right. And that's all I care about.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. That, that makes sense. So a lot of people are, are scared of owner financing because of that. Do you see that that just creates a big opportunity for us?
1: I like it that people are scared of it. I hope they're to death of it. I hope they all stay out of it. (laughs) (laughs) At least in my hometown. You know what I mean? I hope y'all all all get into it. Um, But you know, different states have different state codes and you have to put the Dodd-Frank up against the state code. I did finally figure out um, why in Texas there's been this big argument. You can do five uh, without having to be compliant, you know, but if you do over five in a 12-month rolling window, then you better be compliant which means you better be compliant from the very first one if you're going to do number six, you know, in a 12-month rolling window. Right. You know, uh, it doesn't say you get five freebies and then you have to. It says if you do more than five, uh, five in a year. So so I was talking to the head of the Savings and Mortgage Loan Commission, Carolina Jones, and I said, why is it, you know, Dodd-Frank says it's three that you can do. And then I'm talking to these people and they, and they say in Texas you can do five. How can a state override override federal. She said, no, that's, Dodd-Frank doesn't say you can do three. It says, if your state doesn't address this issue, then the number's three. Well, our state does address the issue. The number's five.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think in, in Tennessee, it's four. So that makes sense. Kind of switching gears. Um, one thing that I really like about owner financing is how well it works in either a stable appreciating, appreciation market or even a declining uh, price market. Did you see the same thing? Because whenever I started in 2010, nobody had an equity position. It was really tough to flip houses retail because bank financing was so tight. But it seemed like creating the financing really worked well. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Okay, so let's go down this avenue. First of all, to believe in the owner finance strategy, you gotta believe two things from the tip of your head to the end of your toes, okay? And these are the two things. So let's see if we can agree on this. Number one, most renters would rather own if it costs them the same per month, principal interest taxes and insurance. Most renters would like to own instead of rent. Can we agree on that?
0: I, th- I think most people would agree with that. I definitely agree with you.
1: Now, I don't know if it's 90% or 83% or 87 or 78%. I don't know, but there's a huge amount of people that would, would love to trade positions and move out from being a renter into being an owner if their owner mortgage payment was equal to what their rent payment was, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, can we agree that when a recession comes into play, banks stop lending? It's either the cause of the recession, they stop lending, or it's a result of the recession, something happened and the banks stopped lending. But either way, the banks are not lo- loaning money in, in a recession. At least there they haven't been loaning money in any recession since the inception of the United States.
0: Yeah, uh, 100%. 100%.
1: Okay. So let's go through a few questions now. And the, the last thing we have to understand is how I arrive at the owner finance value. I take the rents and I back into the rents to establish an owner finance value, the OFV. I may be, that may be the only thing I ever invent in my life is that acronym. There's the ARV and the Mayo and all those other. The OFV, I think, is first to come out of my mouth. So how do you establish the owner finance value? The owner finance value is completely different, has nothing to do with comparable sales, nothing whatsoever. We back into a value based on the rents because we're trying to get this guy that's paying $1,000 a month in rent. We're trying to get him into a house for $1,000 principal interest taxes and insurance payment. So it only makes sense to start with the rent and back into it. And here's the formula. You take the rent minus the property taxes per month, minus the insurance per month, And that'll equal a number. You take that number and you multiply it by 115. This is just the multiplier that an engineer from Texas A&M helped me figure it out. So I didn't have to have a financial calculator to figure out how much a person could borrow if they were borrowing at 10% for 30 years. You take the rent minus the taxes and insurance times 115 plus 12% minus 50% of the repairs equals the OFB. Now let's do it with real numbers. Guys, rents thousand dollars. He's got hundred dollars a month in taxes, so you minus that, and he's got fifty dollars a month in insurance, so you minus that. That leaves this person eight fifty a month for principal and interest payments. Okay. Got it. We got the taxes and the insurance subtracted already, and now we're trying to figure out what does he got for principal and interest. He's got eight fifty. If you multiply eight fifty times one one five, it will pretty. It will be really close to if you figure it out. Eight fifty payment, ten percent interest, thirty-year mortgage. Solve for the balance. So if you multiply eight fifty times one one five, you're going to come up with ninety seven thousand seven hundred fifty something dollars. In my world, that's ninety eight thousand dollars. <laughs> so ninety eight thousand dollars plus plus twelve percent. What's the that ninety eight thousand dollars is how much this man can borrow at ten percent interest for thirty years and have a payment around eight fifty plus or minus a few bucks. Right. Now if he can borrow ninety eight thousand, what does that make the price of the house? I'm gonna add twelve percent on top for a down payment because that's my average down payment.
0: Okay, and I so, was gonna ask about that. So you you look at your, your down payment as a percentage.
1: Yeah, I, I never like to let someone in with less than ten percent, but I'd rather have twelve, so I shoot for twelve. But in the end I'll take sometimes I take less than ten percent even, but it takes, you know, some siphons, some special reasons why. I'm shooting for twelve percent or more. My my minimum is around ten percent. If I go under that, there's some special reason why.
0: Yeah, and we um, do the same.
1: Yeah. So if you add twelve, if you take ninety eight percent and you add, I mean ninety eight thousand and you add twelve percent, you're going to come up with a number that looks pretty close to one hundred ten thousand. That is the owner finance value, and I don't give a damn what the comps say. I don't care unless the comps are higher. Then you always go with the higher number.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. That makes sense. So do you find? Number one, and it's always astounding to me how quickly we can sell houses with underfinancing. So, what is your average?
1: My la- we just did the math. My last 350 houses have averaged nine days on the market and 12 percent down. But we got to continue this conversation. You asked me about the recession, so let me keep going here. Yeah. So you got to understand that I'm establishing my price based on the rents. Okay, this is very important. So now we're going to go through some questions, and don't try to outsmart the answer. Just say the common sense answer. To the The logical thing to say, and here's the first question: During a recession, when banks stop loaning money, what happens to the price of houses?
0: Definitely goes down.
1: Yeah. When no one can buy a house, because the banks aren't loaning any money, and the majority of the people that buy houses borrow a mortgage. When 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 that stops, what kind of house are they living in? They don't live in a house they own. They live They live in a house that they want. They're renting. They're renting. When there's a lot of pressures put on rents, what happens to rents?
0: They increase.
1: So in the middle of a recession, when no one can buy and there's a ton of pressures on the rents, the rents are going up. What is my owner finance price based on?
0: That same thing, the rental rental rent. So in
1: the middle of a recession, I got the only appreciating sales price on the planet because I'm offering financing. And here's the magic of what happens in a recession. The banks closed, but I didn't need a bank to buy houses because I buy houses with private lenders. So Mm -hmm. I didn't need a bank to buy the house. And guess what? My buyer didn't need a bank to buy my house because I financed him. I don't need a bank on either end. And during the recession, I'm the only son of a gun open. And I'm open on both ends. I'm open on the buying end and I'm open on the selling end. And there's really no place else to go to get a loan for a house.
0: Yeah, that's right. Are you looking forward to the next recession or do you just not care?
1: I wouldn't pray for a recession because too many people get hurt. Yeah. But I'm not afraid of one and I'm ready for one. And the thought of it can kind of make me excited, except for I don't want a lot of people to get hurt. So I quell my enthusiasm for it and I don't pray for it, but I am ready for one. And in the last recession, I was buying a house a day for 45 days in a row till I scared myself. So here was the problem. I was both the buyer and the seller during those days. And when you're buying a house a day, you can't sell anything because you're too busy buying. You're overwhelmed buying. There was days I could have bought two houses a day, but I couldn't sell. So I woke up one morning and I had 45 vacancies and I thought, you know, I better stop buying because I need to start selling. because there's. And I wasn't sure how the sales was gonna go in this recession. You know what I mean? I I learned all this stuff through this recession. I did not know that my houses were gonna fly out the door like hotcakes. In fact, one of the reasons I figured out the greatest strategy on the planet was through necessity in the recession. I had 45 houses. My crews could only work on two each. So four houses could be getting worked on at one time. I was like, my God, I have 45 houses. I'm working on four of them. I got 41 of them I can't get to. And then I thought, I, I guess I'm going to have to put them up for sale for based on as is. So I started putting up my houses for sale as is. You fix it at a different lower price. And by the time my crew finished eight houses, I didn't have any houses left. Yeah. The greatest strategy on the planet is buy it. Don't fix it. Watch the person making you a payment. Go over budget fixing up your collateral. That's the greatest strategy on the planet. It's a little harder to find that guy. And if you get into too, too expensive uh, houses, people that buy 150 or 200000 more houses, they don't want to fix anything. You get in the lower echelon, the blue-collar area, they'll fix stuff. So what, what happened was I discovered by accident that I didn't have to fix all these houses. When you're financing the house, I can finance that house with the hole in the roof, the size of a dining room table. I finance the hole in the house. And look at how it works. If you buy a house for 40 and you put 40 in it, you got 80 in it, right? And then you got to owner finance it for, and my target is double for 160. Or you could just buy it for 40 and owner finance it for 80 and save yourself the complete risk of the rehab and all that. So I started learning really quickly that if I had an option to do the rehab and double my money or not do the rehab and double my money, I was so much better off with less money in these houses watching these people fix them up with their money and increasing the value of my collateral because of their efforts.
0: Yeah. And that's one of my mantras is there's more money in financing than in fixing. And, you know, I, I came to that because I would go to these big cities and, and the tallest building was almost always a finance company. I never saw a construction company at the top. It was a bank or as an insurance company or something like that, Merrill Lynch. You know, there's more money in the financing than the fixing. And I look at these rehabbers and, you know, I think what did this, a lot of it is this HGTV style rehabs and it looks sexy on TV, but that's not reality, man. And we both know. So are you doing any kind of fixing on your houses now or you just buy it, sell it, owner finance?
1: Well, no, look, it's very important to have a crew with you at all times. So, you know, like today, maybe I have 15 houses for sale. My crew is working on two of them right now. And I'm trying to sell those other thirteen. When I when, when you know when they get finished with those two houses, I won't have sold all of them. You know that way, and so they'll move on to the next two houses that need fixing the most. And I'll continue to bring in inventory and trying to sell it as is. And my crews, you know, they only they've been with me for a long, long time, and we don't have to argue over what this is interesting. I have a spreadsheet, and we go by the square footage of the house as to how much the roof is. We go by the square footage of the house by what an interior paint job costs and what an exterior paint job costs. Now, there's some variables. Hey, sure. this house is two-story. Okay, we have a multiplier. Hey, this house has four valleys in the roof. Okay, for for if, if it's over two valleys, it's an extra 250 bucks a valley. You know, we got this. So my contractor can go out and bid the whole house without me. And I can tell if he's in line because I know the square footage of the house and I'm looking at the spreadsheet with all the variables and I say, okay. You know, I said, why did the carpet, why is the carpet more expensive than my multiplier says? He says, carpet's gone up by 12%. You can call anybody and ask. I said, okay, well then change the variable.
0: Okay, so you're fixing up some of the houses, but it sounds like a majority of them. You you either buy in a good enough condition or people just don't care and they're gonna fix the house themselves.
1: Well, we're on pace to buy 120 houses in 2019, this year. So we'll owner finance about 80 of them. We'll retail about 30 of them and we'll probably wholesale like 10. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of those retails, is just because my acquisition managers need to get some jack in the pocket. You know, they need to make some money. We retail some of the bigger hits so people can stay cash flush and continue to live to work another quarter. You know what I mean?
0: So what causes you to wholesale one?
1: when I don't want to carry a note in that
0: neighborhood. Gotcha. Okay. So like, it's like, like there's
1: neighborhoods I don't want to, people go, well, what neighborhood do you buy in? Well, I buy in the half price neighborhood. I don't care where a house is half price. I'll buy it. But yeah. there's there's neighborhoods that I don't want to go cl- try to collect the payment or go knock on a door. Or, you know, I, I already did all that. I already lived at the bottom and I've, I've already fought with those people. I've already seen how transient and how messed up it is. And so I'll buy houses there, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to buy it, liquidate it, move on to someplace that's a little more fun to be in.
0: And and that makes sense. And we do the same thing. I call it the gun factor. If I feel like I need a pistol in the neighborhood, then it's not one that I want to deal with. So that makes a lot of sense. So we've talked a little (laughs) bit about your background, um, that you didn't come from money. I didn't come from money either. And I just did a podcast episode about blessed by being broke. Whenever I first started in the business, I I didn't have anything. And so I had to be really creative with a little bit that I had. And really, even for a year, year and a half afterwards, because, you know, you have kind of limited resources to start with. And it's kind of funny because some of my best returns came from that because I had to be creative on the purchase side. So do you feel kind of the same way?
1: Well, look, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is I I didn't go to college because, you know, it wasn't great for 10 years after high school, but because it took me 10 years to figure out that no one's going to pay me any money. Yeah. We're, uh, you know, 10 or 15 or $20 an hour, maybe. And so, you know, I'm sitting there averaging around $16 an hour 20 years ago or 35, 40 years ago. And I came to the conclusion if I can't walk out in the street and make this amount of money by myself with no boss, just take me out and shoot me. You know what I mean? Just now that's
0: commitment, folks.
1: <laughs> you know, like, like, just take me out and shoot me. Like these people at McDonald's that are complaining about, you know, minimum wages. $10 an hour or whatever the hell it is. Look, if you can't walk out in the street and make $10 an hour from your own ingenuity, you ain't worth $10 they're paying you.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: You know, the greatest thing happened was I had to go out and figure out, I said, you know, I'm going to go out and figure out how to make my own money because it's the only way it's ever going. I'm ever going to get ahead. Because I kept helping these, I kept upping these employers' games. I kept making them make more money. And I kept coming up with ideas how to make them more money. And they never gave me any of it. And right. some of these ideas that I did for them made them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They didn't give me jack, And I was like, that pissed me off. It freaking pissed me off. The other thing was I got left for a rich gentleman rancher, which double pissed me off. And I just got in a corner and I said, I'm not going to, that's never going to happen to me again. And I was, I was, I was bound and determined to sleep on the floor by myself until I figured it out. I read a book called uh, Self Made in America by John McCormick, which posed the question, why can immigrants come to this country and within 8, 9, 10, 12 years be financially independent? And we Americans can be born right here at the corner of opportunity and, and, uh, and money and never oh get financially independent. And I read in that book and I saw the sacrifices that these immigrants were making and quickly came to the conclusion that I was not sacrificing near enough to be where I thought I should be. And I readjusted my bar and I readjusted my sacrificing. And lo and behold, it started happening. It didn't happen overnight. But here's the cool thing. I figured out how to make $15 an hour. It took me a while. Like the first weeks, I was making like 50, 100 bucks a day. You know, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And but then I knew that this body would figure everything out. If I didn't, if I was strong enough not to go back to a job, like if I took not having a job seriously and would never go back, I would have to figure out how to survive. And this body would figure out how to survive. So I managed to, you know, there's days I wanted to quit and go get a job. And people offered me jobs because they saw how bad I was sucking. And I said, nope, even possible to have a job. Yeah. And I learned how to make $15 an hour. And then when I learned how to make $25 an hour, I was the recipient of that $10 increase, 100%. And when I learned how to make $50 and $80 and $100 an hour, I was 100% recipient of that increase and that ingenuity. And when I learned how to make six and $700 and $800 an hour, I was 100% recipient of it. Yeah. Now, one time I was making $800 an hour and it kind of got me in trouble because I'd gotten into this mindset and my wife would say, Hey Mitch, can you stop by and pick up the dry cleaners? And I'd look at her and say, honey, I'm worth 800 bucks an hour. Can we find somebody else to pick up the damn dry cleaners? You
0: know? <laughs> didn't go over good, but you know, I can understand I that. It. But this is not I a marriage podcast. Cleaners, you know? Yeah. This is not a marriage podcast. This is a real estate podcast. So you know, we can say some things that's like not great for the marriage, but we're going to buy some houses, so that's okay. You know, to talk about the I immigrant did, I never thing.
1: picked. I never picked up my dry cleaning. I never mowed my lawn, and I've stayed true to it because I need, if there's any spare time, I need it to decompress.
0: Yeah, 100%. So to talk about the immigrant thing, man, I went to a Tony Robbins event over the weekend, and I've never gone to a Tony Robbins event, and it was really amazing, an amazing event. But one of the cooler things is, you know, I, I had an Uber driver, and I don't know why, but I just attract like the coolest Uber driver. So this guy, he was from Cuba, okay? And he was 26 years old. And he said, me and some friends, we just decided we were leaving the island. So he said, we made a boat out of palm trees and we attached a an engine from an old tractor to this and we sailed across the ocean to Miami. And I was thinking, that's just, that's crazier than hell, man. Like, did you think you're going to die? He said, well, actually there was two boats and one of them didn't survive. But he told me about how uh, he started working. They all lived together. And, he, you know, six years later, he's 32. He's got a family. He had a nice car. He's making money. He had his own business. You know, he's just hustling it. And it's just like, hey, man, tip my hat to you because that's amazing. You know, that, that's a great thing. Well, and A lot of people don't have the commitment in them to see that through.
1: Part of what led me to that decision to take having a job off the table was a man, my senior, named Carlos Bolito, who was a Cuban, who... Mm sought asylum in the United States, but went back to fight for his country. And he got captured in that war called the Bay of Pigs. Mm -hmm. And when Kennedy kind of forgot to send the damn airplanes to protect them. And he spent two and a half years in Castro's hotel where they did very unpleasant stuff to him every morning and every evening. And I I was asking him about that because I'm very intrigued about life under high stresses. like how do these people survive this kind of thing i said how did you survive that you didn't even know if you were ever going to get set free as a matter of fact if you watch um bridges with tom hanks that's the guy that got him out as soon as they they finished that what that movie was about his next move was to get my partner out of prison in um cuba back when he was a young man and uh, he said mitch and he says in that thick cuban accent, me this buddy right here this everything It'll figure everything out. It'll figure everything out. As long as the mind don't go, it'll figure everything out, everything, no matter what happens. And I said, that started haunting me because I was getting squeezed in my life because I couldn't get ahead. And it dawned on me, I live in the greatest country in the world. Oh, he said, as long as you get enough water, just enough water and just enough protein, this body will figure everything out if the mind doesn't go. I live in the greatest country in the world. What's the chances I'm not going to get enough clean water? Zero. What's wow. the chances I was going to starve to death in San Antonio, Texas and not get enough protein? Zero. Zero chances. And so I thought, so all I have to do is keep my mind from going. Now, Carlos's mind had to keep from going crazy because they beat him with cables every freaking morning. Okay? Beat the living crap out of him every morning yeah. and and starved them and didn't hardly give him any water and put him in sweat boxes and did all this horrible shit to him and pissed and crafted on them while they're in cells. And all I had to do was keep from going back to a job. And right. so I, I thought about it for about a week, and then I just jumped. I said, this is going to be very uncomfortable. I have no idea what's going to happen to me. I didn't have a plan. I just one day stopped. I walked out of my job. I stopped, and I forced my body into a corner to figure it out. Now, I got to tell you, I wasn't married, and I didn't have kids, which helped a
0: lot. Right. So let, let's kind of take that. I mean, me and you kind of have that same diehard hard by whatever means necessary mentality. But let's take a newer investor, which we've both been because nobody's born buying and selling real estate. You know, a newer investor, they don't have the belief behind them yet. It's affecting their potential. They want to do this, but they're scared. What does that person do?
1: Well, I mean, you don't have to. I had a certain unique position. I had had what I call my I've had enough needle was pinned so far over in the red for so long that... I was ready for something drastic. And I was also prepared to be an island. I figured that during this time, and I figured it was going to take me five or six years, at least I thought I I got a handle on it faster than that. But I was prepared to go, you know, four or five years, at least being on my own because no one was going to want to be around me because I was going to be living in poverty because I I, I had made up my mind. I am not buying one damn thing unless it makes money. Mm -hmm. I'm not buying anything. I'm not going on a date. I'm not. Anything. You know, I had to have a car and I had to have an apartment. But other than that, I'm not spending money on anything. till I get rich. I love it. And so, but I don't suggest that for the average person. I think that you need to um, figure out, uh, I just talked to a girl named Jen Duplexis And she helps people figure out how to keep their job and stay part-time and prioritize so that they can start this new career, whether it be real estate or something else. Until until it replaces their job, and so the first thing you do is, I normally suggest for people, unless they have some kind of unique attitude or unique situation, that you stay with your job and you burn the candle at both ends for a while until you have enough money to cover all your bills coming into the mailbox, no matter what. Then you can walk away from your job and see what you do, 24 hours a day, 365 a year, focused on one thing. The average person is going to have to hold down the job and try to make a few hits in part-time to get up a little bit. How I, you know, I know people that they'll, 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 they'll do the hits until they got a years or a year and a half worth of salary in the bank. They're willing to ration that out all the way to the last penny before they go try, before they go get another job. And a lot of them make it and some of them don't. But that's one other theory is do your job until you've got enough in the bank where you can pay yourself as if you had a job for a year or two years. And if you're willing to gamble that on the chance to try something new and be focused 100% on that, then then that's another way to do it.
0: Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, I, I burned the ships when I started the investing. I retired my real estate license to to just do investment. I pressure washed houses, you know, just whatever I had to, to, to make it happen. But uh, I also remember the stress of that. So it's not something that I 100% recommend that people do.
1: Well, it, when you're under financial stress, it might cause you to make bad decisions too. You can't right. buy, you can't buy bad deals just because you need a deal. I mean, you got to right. hold out when you're starving or when you're getting the stretch too tight financially, it, it it puts, it makes for bad decision-making.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mitch, if people want to find you, where they, where can they get more information about you and what you do?
1: Uh, go to 1000houses.com. That's 1000houses.com. Um, there you can get a free copy of my book or you can go to 1000houses.com forward slash free book and if you just pay the shipping and handling I'll send it to you there's all kinds of free stuff there I also have a podcast uh, as well reinvestorsummit.com
0: very good appreciate it very much man always a pleasure
1: hey Bradley thank you so much thanks for having me and I I hope uh, we did a good job by your audience
0: I think we did thank you again